Luke chapter 20, verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. We know in life that questions are a very integral component of what it means to be a human being. And when you have a conversation with anybody, <clears throat> it's hard to have a meaningful conversation without asking any questions at all. Just try to rack that in your brain. Having a conversation with somebody, but never asking a question, it's near impossible to do. I mean, somebody could stand up and rant and go on and go on, but to actually have meaningful To flesh things out, you have to ask questions. It's essential for what it means to be human. And questions, as you know, they range from both the light and the trivial all the way to the more weighty and serious matters in life. For example, the light and trivial stuff. What's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite vacation that you've been on? What's your favorite color? What's your uh, favorite food? It really doesn't affect a whole lot of our daily lives then you can swing the pendulum a little more, get a little more weighty, a little more serious. Who did you vote for? Why did you vote for them? What do you think about climate change? What do you think about gun laws? I'm not going to in any way tease those out. I'm just giving you an example. Okay, There's more serious, more weighty issues. But then, on the very end of the spectrum, there are, well, not, not quite at the end yet. As we get closer there, There are other questions that, depending upon the answer you give, the answer greatly impacts your life. For example, if you're in the airport and you need to go, where's the bathroom? That greatly impacts your life. You're also in the airport, where's my next flight? It leaves in 20 minutes. Where's the terminal? Where's the gate at? If you get that right or wrong, you might miss the flight. And another kind of more serious one, Regarding medicine, which pill do I need to take? Which shot do I need to take? How, how many pills do I need to take? Depending upon how you answer that, it can greatly impact your life. So, on the very end of the spectrum, and you may have heard this before, I'm not doing anything revolutionary here. The most important... i got a, got a notification. Is this better? Okay. Here we go. All right. Quick pause for you. All right, here we go. Thank you. Um, The other end of the spectrum, the most important question that you can ask in life is who is Jesus? What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? In Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, we find the parallel passage of what we just read in Luke. Matthew 22, 41, Jesus asks the question, What do you think about the Messiah? And there's one Bible commentator, his name is Warren Wearsby. You may have heard of that name before. But he said, this is the key question for every generation and each individual. For our salvation and eternal destiny are dependent on what we think about Christ. So if you time travel a bit with me, in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, we find Jesus bringing up the topic of his identity with his followers, with his disciples. So, and they're in private. They're in 
having a conversation amongst themselves, Jesus and the twelve, Jesus brings up the question, what do people say about the Christ? Who do they think, or rather, who do you think, who do people say that I am? And then they give some answers, and then Peter famously replies back to Jesus, no, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here, in Luke chapter 20, verses 41 to 44, what we see Jesus doing is, is now in his life, his ministry has become a lot more publicized. He's no longer just a, a small guy, but his, his, the news of who he is has spread throughout the entire um, region of Israel, in modern-day Israel as we know it. So a lot of people know who he is, and now, where is Jesus at? Jesus is conversing, speaking with the religious leaders in the temple. So he's in public. He's in a very public setting, and he's addressing his identity in public. And you might be thinking, what's the main point today? I try to, every sermon, every Sunday, I try to whittle down the message to one main point because I found in life in general, if you have five points, 20 points, 10 points, you walk away, you don't remember a thing I said. And I want to try to, what's one thing you can grab and walk away with? When you walk away, what's your takeaway? So here it is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's a question, and what's the answer? Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. A lot of the sermons over the past couple of weeks have concerned the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Who is this king, this guy that we keep speaking about, singing about, I keep preaching about? Who is he? Today, it's another identity question, another identity sermon. And if you're exploring Christianity, right, this benefits us in two ways. If, number one, you are exploring Christianity, as I stated earlier, this is the most important question that you can ask or be asked and thereby answer. Who is Jesus? But even if you are a Christian today, which I know many of you are, you never graduate beyond this. You never get to the point where you say, yeah, you know what, I know Jesus is God. I know Jesus is the Christ. Let's move on to more mature, important, weighty things. You never get to that point as a Christian. Because as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, I say it every time the kids are dismissed, and it's true for you and I today. Our goal is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if anybody here has exhausted the divinity of Christ, you can raise your hand and you can leave. But the reality is none of us have. We can barely scratch the surface of who this king is. So today, it's nothing revolutionary. It's nothing novel. It's some reminders but hopefully some expansion for you as well about what the phrase means that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is the son of David. Before Luke 9, Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. Today, we see a slight mirror. He is the Messiah, he's the Christ, but he's the son of David. What does that mean? What's the significance of that? How can I make a sermon out of four verses? You might be wondering more so. Let's jump in and let's find out. So right here, verse 41, we read Jesus bringing up a question, posing a question. And if you recall, the previous, pretty much the whole previous chapter, what has Jesus been up to? Jesus has been on the receiving end of questions. Particularly, the religious leaders keep coming to him and keep saying, Jesus, um, 
you know, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, what is this, what, what about the marriage, uh, or the resurrection and marriage? How do they tie in together? And as you see in verse 39, regarding the marriage and resurrection question, after Jesus gave them that powerful answer, verse 39 tells us some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. Then verse 40, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So now, the tables turn. Jesus is the one posing the questions. And you have to understand, when Jesus asks questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He, always, he knows everything. He asks questions to prompt a response in us, to prompt, to stir our own hearts that we might know, that we might think, that we might believe the truth. So, what's the question then? Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now, I'll be honest with you. Usually when I uh, do sermon prep, I stare at the text and only the text. I don't look at commentaries yet. Because I, I want to try to just figure out what is it saying. And be honest, I stared at this one for maybe a couple hours, and I couldn't figure it out. I don't know if that's how you are. Maybe you just know what's going on in the, the, the train of thought that Jesus has. But I looked at this, I read over this time and time again, I just couldn't figure it out. What is Jesus asking? What, what is the, the logic, the reasoning here? I couldn't get it. So I, I gleaned on some wisdom, relied on some people who were able to tease this out and connect the dots for me. So here it goes. Matthew 22, verse 41. I read it earlier, but this is Matthew's recording of this account. There, Jesus asked the question to them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? I think that's a little more easy for us to understand, to relate to. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Okay, so let's break that question apart a little bit. Number one, what is the Messiah? What is a Messiah? We throw that word around in church all the time. What does that word mean? Well, in the Hebrew, the word Messiah, and in the Greek, the word is Christ. It's the same word, same meaning, and the meaning is anointed one. It's kind of the most dictionary definition of what that word means, Christ or Messiah, the anointed one, the set-apart one, the chosen one, the special one, the one who was long-awaited, the promised one who would come. And they understood this, the, the Jewish people, they understood this to be the one whom God promised to deliver his people, to rule over his people in justice and in peace. So, who, what do you think about the Messiah? Okay, he, He's the, the one God promised. He's the king who's going to come. He's going to deliver us. He's going to rule over us in perfect peace and justice. I got that. All right. But then Jesus asked, whose son is he? Where does the Messiah come from? Does he just pop out of nowhere? Whose son is the Messiah? Well, that's easy also. He's the son of David. He's a descendant of David. He comes from the line of David. And this was also common Jewish knowledge. Second Samuel chapter 7, 
Let's do some sword drills today. Second Samuel chapter 7. Turn there if you would like to. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. What we see is the Lord promising, giving the very first promise of God establishing David's throne, of God raising up an offspring from David to be the king. Look at 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. This is one of those prophecies, promises that God speaks ultimately about Christ himself, about Jesus. But then, fast forward a little bit, go to Isaiah chapter 9. Does anybody know what Isaiah 9 is significant for? Off the top of your head. What was it? Yes, bingo. Which is, what's, what's that relevant for? The Messiah, yes. Well, I'm thinking, usually that's read during Christmas time. It's kind of what I, where I was going. So, uh, we actually sang about it this morning. Kind of in both the, the first two songs. Actually, the, no, Wonderful Counselor. And then the, the very first song. I've never heard that one before. Uh, believe it or not, but we sang about these words. It was in the, the lyrics. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So did you catch all of that? God is going to send somebody to, to sit on the throne of David, to be the king of the Jews, to rule over them in perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect righteousness. And the Jewish people knew, they thought, yeah, This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. He's going to come from the line of David. So far, so good, right? Okay. So the Messiah would be a son of David. The Messiah is a son of David. The Jewish people would agree with all of this so far. But, let's tease it apart a little bit. The Jewish people didn't necessarily think that this person coming would be God himself. It's going to be a man It's going to be a godly man. It's going to be a good king. But the very son of God, the very God himself coming in human flesh? No. No, that's that's not going to be the case. Jesus, what is he doing here? Why, Why is he stirring this conversation, asking this question? He is trying to reveal to them what his true identity is. He's trying to explode and expand their tiny little brains that though they know these texts, though they know the Old Testament, they still truly don't know the Scriptures. They don't connect the dots. They don't see how it all points to Jesus and how Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Son of David, God 
himself. So how does Jesus do that? How does he open their minds? Well, verse 42. What Jesus does here, and if you will, turn yet again to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, what we read this morning. David himself declares in the book of Psalms, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110. Now, some Bible trivia for you, something I I like to do. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And if you include allusions, it could be argued that Psalm 110 is the most quoted chapter in the New Testament. But irregardless, it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And for Jesus, and for us today, this psalm is heavily, heavily messianic, meaning it's explicitly about the Messiah, explicitly about who he is and what he's going to do. That's what Jesus understood this psalm to be, and likewise, how we should view the psalm as well. So look at the first verse with me. Hopefully you're there in, in the book of Psalms. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, look at that very first word, very first line there. The Lord says to my Lord. To our English ears, what, that just doesn't make sense. The Lord says to my Lord. What, what, I don't get it. Look at the specific wording there. You notice the first Lord should be all capitalized in your Bible. Hopefully it is. And whenever you find that in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, that is the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh, as you might have heard before. The second Lord, as you see in the text, it's just normal text. It might even be um, not, not even capitalized, the first L. I use the NIV, it's not even capitalized. So the Lord, so that's Yahweh, says to my Lord, in Hebrew that's Adonai, you might have heard that word before, and that's, sim- that's simply a generic title that refers to ruler or king or even an earthly lord, as sometimes, um, I'm, I'm thinking more kind of British context, they still might use that term, lord, my lord over me. So it's not necessarily deity, divine, it's just the king, a ruler, somebody over me, all right? So Yahweh, the Father, in other words, Yahweh says to my king, my ruler, my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now let's break this apart. What is this, going, what is this talking about? Well, what is the right hand? The right hand of fellowship, sometimes it's referred to in the Bible. But in the Bible, the right hand, and in life, we, we still kind of hold on to this, There's something significant about the right hand. And typically, those who sit at the right hand, that's why you see in the New Testament with James and John, they come up to Jesus. What is their request of him? Jesus, in glory in heaven, let one of us sit at your right hand, the other at your left hand. It's a place of honor, the highest place of honor regarding royalty, and even in somebody's house. Uh, So if you come to our house and you sit at my right hand, which is typically reserved for Megan, but that's the place of honor. So, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Look at a few other things. So, so the, Yahweh is saying to this person, whoever it might be, sit at my right hand. 
I'm going to esteem you and honor you with the highest of prestige and glory and majesty. And the Father, you, you go on, verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. So Yahweh is going to extend your mighty scepter. You just see all this language about God Almighty establishing and blessing this individual to rule. And so far, guess what? The religious leaders would still agree with all of that. Yeah, I got it. God is going to exalt and honor this individual. I got that. But the big sucker punch, if you will, to the face, the big twist happens really on one personal possessive pronoun. The very first line, and you can look at Luke chapter 20, um, if you want to turn back there, keep your thumb in Psalm 110. But all of the, the big conflict, the big disagreement happens really kind of because of one word. Let me point that out to you. The Lord said to my Lord. It's the word my right there. You might be wondering, what on earth? How is that significant? What's the big deal? The Lord said to my Lord. Who is speaking? Who wrote that psalm? King David. Let me say that again. King David. Not just David. King David. So Jesus, some of Jesus' logic here. It's absurd for King David to refer to anybody else as his Lord, as his king, as his ruler, because he is the king. He Arguably, he was the greatest of the kings of Israel. And in modern day, this is true back then especially, but even today, I think again about the British context, and you, the queen or the king, you never see them bowing to the prince or the princess. It's always the opposite. The younger serves the older. That's a general principle throughout all cultures. Those who are younger serve those who are older. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but typically they're wiser. They are in a place of honor, as God calls us, as, as children. Children, honor your parents. And then in these contexts, the king, the son, honors the king. David's grandsons are to honor him, so on and so forth. The king would never, ever bow to somebody younger than him, his own grandson. It just does not work that way. And this is what Jesus is pointing at. The Lord said to my Lord, David is referring to somebody as his Lord. How is that possible? How slash why would David do such a thing like that? Why would David do that for a mere human being, for a mere man? This is what Jesus is teasing out. Now, what's the answer? Somebody know the answer. This isn't just a man. Okay, it's kind of obvious as I'm fleshing it out. This isn't just a man. This isn't just a descendant of David. It's not just David's child, grandchild, great-grandchild. This is God himself. This is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, the son of the living God. And when you read in Matthew and Luke, two Gospels that record the genealogies of Jesus, you see explicitly that Jesus Christ is the son of David. He literally, physically came from the, line, the bloodline of David. Got that. But he's much more than that. He's much more than just a descendant. He has 
the Davidic heart. And what is David known for? Of course, it's a lot of things, right? His, his sin, Bathsheba. But in the book of Acts, he's known as a man after God's own heart. And Jesus not only is a descendant of David, he is the one who truly had the heart after God, who perfectly had, who perfectly was the man after God's own heart. So David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 44, David calls him Lord. David calls him king, ruler. How then can he be his son? The only way that's possible is if this descendant is God. Is if this descendant is far more than a mere human being. Hopefully that gives you some clarity. Let me wrap all of this up. As Jesus brings up this topic, I'm curious a couple of things. One, Jesus doesn't explicitly give the answer there because a lot of times, again, in Scripture, when Jesus poses a question, it's not necessarily to give you the straight answer right then and there. Sometimes he speaks truth because he wants it to ruminate in your soul. He wants you to meditate on it and think about it and dwell on it and ponder it. And that's what we see here. We don't see an explicit answer. How then can he be a son? He doesn't answer that question, nor do we see the religious leaders answering him back. We don't know if they acknowledged it, if they got, I mean, it's clear from the rest of the Gospels. They didn't get it. They didn't piece it together. But we don't see what their response was. We don't see Jesus giving a a clear explanation and answer to this. So we're kind of left hanging in a sense. But this is true with a lot of things regarding Jesus. The clarity that you might want, the clarity that they are wondering about, comes when. At what point does a lot of this click? Somebody know. Say it. I heard him. There it is. Bingo. The resurrection. Okay? A lot of what Jesus talked about, because as you read the disciples, what did they say? Jesus, you spoke about so many things to us. I didn't really get it. I didn't get, understand it. But after the resurrection, when they met the resurrected Christ, a lot of these pieces were put together. The puzzle of Christ's identity, of his power, of his divinity, it all came in a clear, resounding way after the resurrection. And this is true in Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. The gospel is about the Son, so about Christ. The gospel is about his Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. You good so far? So the Son, regarding his earthly human life, he was a descendant of David, but then also, listen to this, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Think about it like this. Jesus' earthly physical life, when he was born, that's a clear testimony that he is the son of David, that he is a son of David, he is the son of David. After the resurrection, it's as if God clearly and boldly told the world, he's not just a son of David. He's not just a physical descendant. He is my chosen one. He is my son. He is God himself in power by his resurrection from the dead. But also look at Acts chapter 2, 
verses 32 to 36. This is another instance where Psalm 110 is quoted. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 36. This is when the apostle Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he clarifies this issue beautifully. Listen to this. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not descend, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Do you see this getting a little clearer? A little bit. Jesus is the son of David, but he's also the son of God in power, and he was exalted and established as such after the resurrection. We're going to unpack that a lot more in Luke chapter 24, but take note of where this is in the gospel. Jesus is within the last week of his life before the crucifixion, and time and time again, Jesus is alluding to both his death and his resurrection. The disciples don't get it. The religious leaders don't fully get it. When Jesus talks about how he must die, they're thinking, no, you're not. You're the king. You're not going to die. That's insane. He's going to come back to life. You're not making any sense, Jesus. Just stop. And the disciples did that a couple of times. Peter said that. Jesus, no, and then Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. Jesus speaks a lot of truth. Sometimes we don't fully get it, and sometimes today in our own context, When Jesus speaks promises, we may not fully get it. A big one, perhaps the biggest one, practically speaking, is Romans 8.28. Many of you might know that verse. All things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't get that. I don't see how this that happened in my life is going to turn out for good. I don't get how Jesus, you must die. Jesus, you talking. I don't get how that's going to, that makes, after the fact after the fact, and because of the resurrection, answers become a lot clearer. A lot clearer. And when we meet him face to face, the resurrected Christ, all of our questions will be fully answered. We may not fully get it. We may not fully understand explicitly every single detail about what Jesus is saying here. But the point is, after the resurrection, in the resurrection, our deepest longings will be answered and we will be able to fully know who he is. So church today, last verse, I promise, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Our main question, our main concern today is regarding the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? As it's right there. What do you think about the Messiah? When the Apostle Paul was at the very end of his life, it's um, common agreement upon scholars that 2 Timothy, that letter, is the very last letter, the last book that he wrote. Though it is addressed personally to Timothy, it's also believed that this, these were Paul's last words, period. 
in terms of what he inscribed down. His, his last communication to the outside world because Paul is writing this from a jail cell, from prison. And, as you know, your last words should be meaningful. And if, you, if you, you're still able to think well, your last words, you want to leave your children, your grandchildren, your friends, whoever it might be, you want to leave them with what's most important in life. So as Paul is writing to Timothy, there's a lot of different things Timothy needs to keep in mind. Don't neglect the spirit of God who is in you. Fan into flame the gift that he has given you. So, so many commands and truths of the gospel. But in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, notice what he says. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. When you think about the gospel, when you think about Jesus, how often do you think about those two components? Remember Jesus Christ, he was raised from the dead and descended from David. When's the last time you ever heard that in a gospel presentation? It's explaining who Jesus is. Oh, he's descended from David. Very rarely, if ever. The Apostle Paul thought this was so important, and the Spirit through Paul inspired him. This was so important, so central to the identity of who Jesus is, that it's a command that you and I are to live by today. Remember Jesus Christ. He is raised from the dead, but he's also descended from David. I hope as we've walked through the text, I've tried my best to try to piece together what Jesus was talking about. The significance that Jesus is the son of David. It's not just a physical descendant. David didn't just call him, he called him Lord. And that signifies that there's something greater, something more powerful of who he is. He's not just a man. He's not just a good king. He is God himself. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And today, can you say that? Do you acknowledge him as such? Do you see that that's his true identity? And can you say, as David did, that he is your Lord? Can you say, Jesus, you are my Lord? You are my Lord. I hope you can. Let's pray, and then we'll close with the doxology. Father, we come before you grateful that you have revealed yourself to us and you have revealed your Son to us. You have not left us in the dark, but you have spoken a powerful, powerful word for our ears to hear. But not only did you speak audible messages for us, you spoke to us by coming in person as the clear, beautiful, perfect word, the living word, as you stepped into this world almost about 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that you are the king who has come. You are God. You are the Christ. You are the one who was promised in the Old Testament. We ask that you will please help us to remember your identity, to never lose sight of the fact of who you are, and that you'll help us to remember you and submit our lives to you continually. Though we may not fully know 
all the questions, all the answers. Please help us to trust you in faith. With the knowledge that we do know, help us to respond to you in humility. And that as we do so, you will continue to expand and increase our knowledge of you and our experience of grace in you. Be with us today as we now depart, as we leave. Help us to glorify you in all things. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.